Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Bree. And author Mona Schroff is joining us today. We are so excited. So first and foremost, thank you so much for joining us. And we're actually recording this in 2021, but this episode's going to come out in 2022 because Mona has a new book coming out. So Mona, share with us something you are looking forward to in 2022. Oh my God, there's so many things to look forward to. Um, first of all, I have three books coming out in 2022, which oh, wow. is just crazy because in twenty in 2017, I had no books coming out and now I have three um, <laughs> in one year. So congratulations. Um, thank you. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I think like everybody else, I think I'm looking forward to the strong possibility of live events of like mm-hmm. going and like doing book signings and going to book cons and meeting with readers and other authors and things like that things that were kind of sort of you know instantaneously shut down right after my debut in 2020 so um yeah so i think those are kind of the kinds of things that i'm looking forward to just being able to move about hopefully a little more freely and um you know have like direct human contact and hugs and all of that again too. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. I just realized that, yeah, like you were a new author when everything kind of fell apart. So how, how did that feel for you? Like you just made it out there and then boom, everything's closed. And like, how did that feel? <laughs> yeah. So I debuted at the end of January. So I did have the month of February at a bunch of like events every weekend. Um, and I do remember right before things went boom and shut down, I was getting ready for my first Polycon and my first BLC. And, um, you know, I was, I had all of the things planned. I had bought all of the swag and, you know, I was just learning the process. I was super excited to go to these meetings and boom, we weren't going like literally days before. Um, and at that time we didn't really know. And anyway, so over the course of the year, you know, I, I continued to write then there was you um, from home and my day job. Uh, I'm an optometrist in my day job. So that was shut down. And, um, you know, it was weird, but I, I've, I've said this before, like not having actually um, done like live, a lot of live promo and sort of been in the business before it, it was almost like, it was normal for me in a sense because I didn't have anything to compare it to. Um, so obviously there was a bunch of disappointment that I couldn't go to these events and things. But in terms of everything else, I was just, you know, kind of like everybody else, just kind of like, let's wing it. Let's see what we can do. I started doing some Instagram things to connect with people and readers. And and then when my uh, second book came out in 2021, we were still not doing live events. So I did and. Instagram tour and I did as many virtuals as I possibly could, which actually on the bright side was kind of fun because I got to do like virtuals with the Rip Bodice and Love Sweet Arrow without having to actually go to Chicago or <laughs> go to LA, you know, which is fun in and of itself, but I could like get on for like an hour and then go back and do my writing again. Yeah. 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 <laughs> From <laughs> home. So, yeah. um, so, you know, there's, there's a bright side to like everything, you know? Um, and so I think that was, it was, just, it was weird, but I guess I don't really have a full appreciation of exactly how weird because I hadn't done it any other way. Yeah. To be honest. Mm-hmm. That's um, fair. So I am excited to kind of get out there though this year. This mm-hmm. as romance readers, I just think like the genre, the authors. I always like to look at call. I consider you all like the muscle that makes it work, uh, and I just feel like we were taken care of 
so much, mm-hmm. I think, in comparison to other genres during the craziness of everything. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because, you know, you could just, there are so many events that I would love to go to, but, you know, you have to fly to whatever city and pay for the ticket and play for the, pay for the Hotel plane. Hotel and all those Yeah. Things. And now you could just like sit back and watch it on the computer. So it's really interesting. I, I, want, I wonder how, like from an author standpoint, once the world really starts opening up again, how do you feel like the online stuff is going to fit into that world now? Because you all did put in so much work online oh gosh, and like yeah. really up the online presence. How do you think it's going to fit into the world once everything starts opening up again and it can be more face to face? So I think I think that we found that there's a place for it, right? Like mm-hmm. just like you said, I, I mean, if I want to do something with the ripped bodice, I think that I still have that opportunity to be like, you know what, I can't fly out there for the weekend. You know, I can meet you even on a Wednesday night and and do something right like for a couple of an hour or an event. So I do think that like you said, even the readers don't have to um, fly out there pay for everything, you can just get on a zoom for an hour, make that connection, listen to what you want to, and even have like we do chats and, and there and there's always like a a question answer kind of thing. So I still think that there's a place for it. Um, I wonder if we can go hybrid with certain things, whereas mm-hmm. we might have like a live event that's also put on Zoom and we can, you know, take um, questions from people um, who couldn't necessarily make it out, you know, to say the to LA because we're on the East Coast or whatever, you know. Um, so I do think that there's, um, I think we found that there's a place for it. I think that um, I'm hoping that we still have this ability to do these virtual things because you can connect with just so many more people. I think obviously people like live and I don't mm-hmm. think that there's any, I don't think that will ever go away, but I'm hoping that we um, can maintain some of the virtual things because we even got people from like overseas and, yeah. you know, people who yeah. wouldn't normally pop in, you know, it doesn't cost you anything to just literally be like, Oh, let me just pop into this zoom call. And if you're bored, you leave in 10 minutes, like nobody cares. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. um, that was that that that's what I think. I think that it's definitely I, I think again, bright side of all of being shut down is that we realize that we can still connect. Yeah. Um, via Zoom. And maybe we can connect to even more people um, where we could before. Like if I do go to LA, then it's basically whoever is there that can come, right? Like my family can't attend from Maryland and my friends in Maryland can't attend. But if I'm like, hey, here's a Zoom link, come watch yeah. me talk, you know, they can do that, you know, and I love mm-hmm. that. I love that. So let's get into some icebreakers. If you came with a warning label, what would it say? <laughs> um, it should be no surprise to you right now that my warning label would say she talks a lot. <laughs> Same. <laughs> we, we're fine with that here. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, for like a writer, that's something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're on the chattier side, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're fine. It's okay. It's okay. Um. So as you already mentioned in your day job, you're an an optometrist. Uh, What inspired that as a career path for you? So really what inspired that as a career path for me was um, the stability it offered. So, you know, Mm -hmm. young and impressionable, getting ready to go to college. Um, You know, there's a question later on, I think, about writing, like, how'd you get to writing? I always wanted to write. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, my parents were practical and I appreciate that for them, uh, them for that. Because they said, they were like, listen, you can write anytime. 
why not get a job that's like solid, um, where you know, you can support yourself, and then you can write, you know. Mm -hmm. And so optometry appealed to me because, you know, not, you know, it may sound like I'm a little lazy, but you know, you don't have to be on call all the time. It's, you know, there's some (laughs) set hours, there are eye emergencies for sure, but they are, you know, not, they're few and far between, um, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And, um, you know, and I liked it. And also the other thing I liked about optometry um, is that, you know, my patients are pretty happy. Like I don't really deal with like miserable, like people who don't feel good and that kind of thing. So yeah. it appealed to that part of my personality. Not that I don't think that people who are sick, you know, don't need good care, but um, they obviously do. But in, in my per- in my day, like I deal with basically people who are like, I just need help seeing. Mm-hmm. And I do like yes. helping people see. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and on the flip side, I also like being able to help them read because a lot of people will come in and they're like, oh, I can't read. And I'm like, oh, that's so sad. Let's help you read. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, as someone that's worn glasses since like first grade, and Sarah, you've worn Thanks. them since you were like a baby, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, we appreciate optometrists. <laughs> yep. That is something though, like when you hear of people going to metal, medical school, it's usually like physician assistant or to be a nurse or just to be like, you know, an ER doc. Something. And it's like yeah. optometrists, people need optometrists too. So I think we just thought it was the coolest thing ever. Like she's a glasses doctor. Yeah. That's so funny because most, most, I think most people will be like, even I say it, I'm like, Oh my God, optometry is so boring. Like who would want to do that? But it's not boring. It's, it's exactly, it's fun. I love talking to people and um, I do, I do look at it in terms of like, you know, like, no, everybody wants to be able to see, like you take your eyes for granted sometimes, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, and then I do have a lot of like, I can't read. And every time someone's like, oh, it's such a pain. I love to read and I can't see with these. I'm like, well, let's fix that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had my appointment a couple months ago with my optometrist and uh, we were talking and I said, yeah, I'm getting more headaches and all this stuff. And she's like, well, what are you doing on the computer all day? And I said, well, I also try and read on my Kindle. So she like totally set me up and like, okay, so this, where do you hold your Kindle? Let's yes. try this, you know? And mm-hmm. I'm like, and then we got into a whole conversation about the Kindle, you know, like <laughs> and how great it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let me support your habits, Sarah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so what was the last song to get stuck in your head? Oh, my God. Um, you know that song, Fancy Light? <laughs> yes. Yes. My yes. 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 So <laughs> I'm not going to sing on this thing because I'm. if I do, I'm going to be like, no, you have to delete that. But yeah, I could not. I hadn't ever heard it. And a couple of my girlfriends were like, do you know that song Fancy Like? And they all knew it. And I'm like, I don't know what this is. So I looked it up and I listened to it. And then I'm like, what are these, what are these words that they're saying? And so <laughs> I just kept listening to it over and over again. And then I could not get it mm-hmm. out of, I could not get it out of my head. And I think I was like mm-hmm. the last person to even ever hear the song. And mm-hmm. um, so it just like kind of stuck with me, even like talking about it right now. Now it's going to be in my head. <laughs> yeah. So. But yeah. that's the entire point of the song. There's no other point to that song other than to get stuck in your head. <laughs> totally stuck in my head. <laughs> if you were to start writing your memoir tomorrow, what would the title be? What would the title be? I'm so bad at titles. I guess it would be something like, um, 
You have some of the best titles. I mean, the sweetest titles. Oh, like, been now, always. Know. Like, I have yes. help. With, I have help with this. Okay, I was going to ask. Did you? Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I had help with this. No, I think the title of my memoir, like just when you said it off the top of my head, it might be something like "She Persevered," like, and not along the lines of I know that's kind of like a like a pop culture thing right now. And I just feel like it's she persevered because I feel like, like, so when I was in high school, like I tried out for like everything, like even mm-hmm. things like, like I'm not an athlete, but like softball and I can't even remember the school play and, and I didn't get any of it. Like I went through like 10th grade where I was like shot out of like every club because you have to, everything you have to try out for, I didn't get. Um, and I think what I learned, it was kind of, you know, it sounds sad, but I think at that point, what I did learn was that, you know, you can actually put yourself out there, work hard and still not get what you think that you want. And however, the world will still continue and you will be just fine. So I think that set me up really well for being an author. Um, so when I did get all those rejections initially and all that kind of things, I just kept going because I was just like, no, I... Like, I know I'm going to be published somehow. It's either going to be traditionally. And if not, then I, I would absolutely want to consider um, self-pubbing and that kind of thing. But this is what I want to do at this point in time in my life. So the fact that everybody, everybody at that time was saying no to me, um, it, it did. I mean, it makes you feel bad. But, it you know, you I was able to kind of pick myself up and just continue because I think I had learned at a very young age that it, the world does go on even if you don't like get a hundred on every test or like things don't mm-hmm. go exactly the way that you think that they want them like you try out for things and you don't get them so I guess my memoir would be something along those lines of like she just kept going or I don't know I suck at titles but it would be something <laughs> like that <laughs> I think that's perfect Agreed. Agreed. so one of our favorite blog posts of yours is thoughts as my daughter leaves for college Share with us one lesson you've learned as your children get older. So this particular question is very dear to my heart um, because, you know, both of my kids are, uh, my daughter is now 24 and my son is 21. My daughter is graduated and she's working and my son is about to graduate from college and move on to his next life. And, you know, I have friends, we have adult children and, you know, there are tons of books out there for when you you have a baby and a toddler and a five-year-old and six-year-old. And I apologize if there are books out there on how to be parents of adult children, but I haven't come across them. So mm-hmm. there's no there's there's no real guidelines, I think, for parenting adult children. So we just kind of learned on the fly. And what I think we learned was to literally just let them go um, and let them like set them free as free as you possibly can. And then just be there for them as that soft place to fall because they will fall as they should, because that's mm-hmm. how you learn. Um, and that's the thing about adult as, as the, as they grew older, that's what I had to learn was to just let them go, let them fall, but then just to be there for them as that soft place that would take care of them, mm-hmm. um, when they did fall so that they could pick themselves up again and continue. Yeah. So that would be my advice. And that's, that is the biggest lesson I learned. And it's hard as a, as, as a parent to just kind of, when you know, they're going to screw up, it's going to just be like, go. <laughs> that mistake you know but we'll be here for you you know um so i think that is my my big lesson well that's the kind of the beauty of the post i mean first and foremost it's also really funny (laughs) but then you you ended off when you've actually gotten your daughter 
to the school and, you know, you're describing like you may possibly, if you know, if you're lucky, you may get to meet the parents of the yeah. kid that your, do- your, your kid's going to be living with. Mm-hmm. And you have this moment in the post where you're like, but you know what? You prepared them for yes. this. And mm-hmm. like you said, you ended off with, you just have to let them go. You did your job. You, you got them ready for this moment. But it's also interesting, like you said, like, there's all this support when you have for when you have young kids, right? How to mm-hmm. deal with a toddler, how to deal with a, a preteen, but nothing mm-hmm. really out there that says like that's supportive of what to do when you have kids that are now out of the house. It's almost mm-hmm. like, oh, you've done your job. You don't need any support anymore. So Right, right. And then oh you're empty nesters and you can do this and this. And it's true, you can. And we we have done our job, but we still miss them. And it give mm-hmm. me I will tell you, it does give me a greater um res- more respect and a perspective of what um my parents, like our parents, go through, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even at my age, like I do think that my parents, like my mom still misses me. Like I live two hours away from her and um they still miss us, right? And mm-hmm. missing my daughter, I I can actually understand like why how my mom feels now too. Um, which has also been a unique thing, which I think brings us closer to our parents as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Um, because now we're sort of in that same boat. Whereas, you know, I mean, when you're in the thick of it, when they're little, you're just in the thick of it, you know, until all of a sudden you're not like it's, and it's quite sudden sometimes like it's a little bit gradual, but then all of a sudden you're not, you're not Absolutely. in the thick of it, you know? Um, and I did write those blog posts as like sort of therapy for myself because I didn't know what to do with all those feelings that I was having. So I just went to writing. Um, mm-hmm. and one of my girlfriends was like, I know when my, my daughter, there's another blog post in there when I dropped my daughter off at college and I was almost blasé. I was like, oh, it's fine. And then I came home and I like lost my, lost it. And I wasn't expecting to do that. Um, I was just like sobbing in her bedroom. I went to put laundry away and I was like, oh my God. My baby. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, one of my uh, girlfriends was like, you need to blog about this. Like you just, just write about it and blog. I'm like, who wants to read that? And she's like, just write it. It doesn't matter who reads it, you know? Um, so that's kind of where I went with that. And it was helpful to see it. It was fun to like go back and look at it and see like, you know, that thoughts of how my, of my daughter going to leave for college, you know, that was God, like six, seven years ago. That was, mm-hmm. yeah, that was a while ago. She left in 2015. So six, seven, six wow. years ago, that's, it's been a while. And the growth of her in that time has been incredible. Yeah. You know. But you put that, you captured how you felt in that moment. So even though the time has passed, those, yeah. that moment is still out there for yes. you to return to. Yes. I love mm-hmm. it. Yeah, thank you. Well, we love to hear romance origin stories. So how did you become a romance reader? So I'm actually, I don't know that I'm, I was ever like an actual just romance reader. I just remember that I would read anything that was in front of me. So I was a huge sci-fi reader. I used to read horror back in the day. I don't do that anymore. Um, And of course I read romances and um, I would read whatever I had, but I will tell you no matter, I read fantasy, like no matter what I was reading, my main interest was always about like that couple, right? Like even say uh, Harry Potter or the Hunger Games, like I was interested in Harry Potter's journey, but I was just like, when is he going to get together with Ginny already? Like, (laughs) Like, when is that going to happen? And when he finally kissed her, I literally put the book down and like, was like did a little jig. I was like, finally, thank God. (laughs) Right. And, um, and so I was, 
I, it took me, <laughs> I was a little slow on the uptake when I decided to write like what genre I wanted to write until it finally hit me that what I am always, always interested in is the romance part of any book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, well, then I guess that's what I want to write about. So that's, that's how I took the leap from reader to romance writer, because, um, I do love the part about falling in love and I love that happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I love being able to put a happy ending out there. Like I, I enjoy the fact that, you know, you can pick up my book. Um, and no matter how sad it may be for a while, you know, it's going to end well. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I feel like, especially right now, I think that's really important. Um, oh, for sure. But yeah. So you did mention that you've always loved to write, but what inspired the decision to pursue it professionally? So when I, I think I was in my early 40s at the time, and it was one of those things, you know, my kids were, whatever, preteen at that point, maybe a little younger. And I was 42, 43. And I was like, you know what? If I don't try right now, I never will. Like, I will never know if I could have written a novel if I don't actually sit down and put it out there into the universe and actually try. So what I did was I told my husband first, and then I told my closest friends and my family to sort of make myself accountable. And I just felt like it had to be out there that this is what I wanted to do. I didn't want to do it in secret because I thought I wouldn't do it if I was going to do it in secret. I would try a little bit and then I would give up and then I would never know. Um, And so that's just how it started. I just, I went to writersdigest.com and I went online and I wrote fan fiction for a while because I didn't really have direction yet. Like I didn't know I wanted to write romance and, you know, I wrote fan fiction. Meanwhile, the fan fiction I was writing was, you know, romance. I didn't realize it (laughs) at the time. And then I did some prompt like writer's prompts and stuff for short stories off of writer's digest which is actually where that now always came from it was a writer's prompt um heads we get married tells we break up okay okay so that's where it came from and i love that prompt (laughs) and that's the one i read that and i was like oh I want to write a love story. And so I wrote like a 700 word short story that nobody looks twice at. Um, but my six, my daughter was 16 at the time and she was all about me writing. And she was like, mom, 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 this is going to be your novel. This is your novel right here. This 700 word short story. That is your novel. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so this is like a very detailed outline. Let's start. And I didn't know anything. I took online classes and I didn't know anything and it was such a learning curve and it was so much fun and and I didn't really know what was going to happen and I had to learn how to query and all of that and I queried for such a long time um ended up with an agent and then ended up with Harlequin okay can you kind of explain for us what querying means Mm -hmm. and looks like so at the time that I was doing my query, so querying is basically, you know, you're sending, you're basically pitching your your story um, to agencies, right? So I had gone through, like, there's books you can get. And anyway, I, I found agents that I thought might be interested and I cold queried them, which means I literally just sent them an email. Like I went to their, their website or whatever, found out what they wanted in their query. And sometimes it was just a letter and sometimes it was a letter and a chapter or whatever. So I just did that. I started out with 25, got 25 rejections, did another round of 25, got another 25 rejections. And then I started live pitching. So like Writer's Digest and a couple of my local uh, romance writer um, groups, which, you know, I had a friend who was like, oh, you need to join like this organization. And also part of my um, 
So my local chapters would do retreats where we did um, live pitching. And then um, Twitter had like, uh, what was it called? Um, hashtag DV pit, um, where you would pitch like in 140 characters, basically your book um, type of thing to agents. And there was like a set day for that. So basically, you're you're trying to condense your book into a page or a pitch or something um, for an agent to say they want to read more. And what ended up working for me was the Twitter pitch. So through my Twitter pitch and through a live pitch, actually, I got two agents who were interested in reading my manuscript and they both read it. And then they were initially at different companies and then they ended up working at the same company. So then one of them decided to give me representation. And I'm now with Bookends, um, Rachel Brooks at Bookends, who is amazing. And um, and that's, bas- that, that's basically how it worked for me. So I just, I basically pitched my story like in any format that I could find. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So your first two releases, then now always, and then, mm-hmm. then there was you were published with HQN books in 2020 and 2021. Yes. Um, so, you know, here we are, we're the end of 2021. It, when this comes out, it'll be 2022. What would you, how would you describe those two titles um, that you put out first? Um, the books. So the books, first of all, they are each standalone. And um, then now always is um, a second chances secret baby. Um, those are the two tropes that are in there. But I, I've told that one in two timelines. And that's the one that was my first one. That was the heads. We get married tells we break up one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's Did the story me- just come to you. Like once you saw that writing prompt, you were like, <clears throat> I got it. No, I don't have magic <laughs> like that. Okay. <laughs> same, same. I just had to ask. um no I I I I had an idea of like how I wanted that prompt like heads like if if a guy said heads we get married tails we break up I'm like what are the various reactions that a woman could have right right Mm -hmm. yeah so I went through all of the things and then I decided what reaction I wanted her to have and then I put the story around it so I wanted her to be completely appalled by that and leave him and um that's what happens in then now always um, but you have to build up to that, like, cause it has to be reasonable. Like you want to try to, you know, because if you really are in love and a guy says that you could actually just be, think he's joking and, and move on with like in real life, just move on with that. Right. So it had to be believable that she would be in a place where she couldn't hear that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I told this story in two timelines cause they fell in love when they were in their twenties and they're now the main part of the story. They're in their late thirties. And I also wanted to write about like a little bit of an older, uh, an older couple in their late thirties. Um, finding love again type of thing, you know, and so she was pregnant and she didn't tell him and now she has this 15 year old daughter who's in trouble. And of course, he's a lawyer. So she goes to him for help. And, and then and then the story progresses. So we go back and forth to figure out like how they met and fell in love and why did they break up? um, And what was behind all of that? And then, you know, finally, at the end, can there be forgiveness? And can they move on? And, you know, will there be a happily ever after type of thing? Um, and, you know, spoiler alert, there is because it's the <laughs> um, And that's why but, we love them. <laughs> yes. And so there's, there's, and yeah, so that's how that one, that one came to be. That's what that one's about. And um, then there was you is a completely different animal. Okay. Um, then, and then there was you. I sort of investigated um, if I took two fairly broken people um, who really were not looking for love and didn't really feel even deserving of it at this point because of things that had gone on in their lives. 
but they manage to find each other and fall in love, what would happen? Um, and so that's where Daniel and Anika come from. So that book's a, you know, we deal with some, you know, there's, there's some loss and there's some uncomfortable situations that happen. Um, and so it was just an investigation of all of, of those kinds of things. Um, almost a second chances, but not quite following that trope. When you're writing those like tougher, you know, when you're wanting to explore those tougher ideas, those tougher mm-hmm. themes, mm-hmm. is there anything, it's kind of like, I look at it like when we ask authors who write, you know, holiday titles, what do you have to do to get yourself in the mood for that? What do you have to do to kind of prepare yourself to explore those tougher themes in the stories? So, you know, for just as a spoiler, so Daniel has lost a child. So for that one, I did a lot of, I did some reading, I did some research, I looked for um, how fathers deal with grief. And as a side note, there isn't a ton out there. Um, which which also informed the way I wrote the book. Um, I found a book that a, a, a father had written, and I, per- I you know I emailed with him for a little bit, and I purchased it. He lost two children, and um, oh I purchased gosh. the book, and I had to I had to read that. I had to read it. Um, so that was not an easy thing to read, but you know it's not easy to go through. So mm-hmm. I I did read those things to learn um, a lot about that whole male toxicity thing about how, you know, men are expected to just sort of suck it up and take care of their wives and, um, or the mothers of the children or whatever, and just sort of provide and move on. And, um, and sometimes even in therapy sessions, that's sort of the way that they're geared. It's not always just their family that says, tells them to do that. And so I was like, well, that's really that's a shame. Um, and so I, I did research for that kind of thing. Um, and um, also for Annika having her miscarriage, I, I read um, some blog, a few blogs and, and um, did a lot of research and talked to actually um, a, guy, a couple of gynecologists and things about the physical things and emotional things that they see their patients go through um, along those lines. So I try to get as much information as I can to prepare for those things. And then personally putting yourself in your mindset, you just kind of have to, I do have to put myself in their shoes as much as I can um, and do it. So you do, I do cry a lot sometimes when I write, when I did cry a lot. I can imagine, like I'm Um, like, my heart is like in my throat. I feel like just imagining, mm -hmm. (laughs) but Mm -hmm. those stories, like you said, like the, the fact that there's not a lot out there for men who have unfortunately like lost, you know, a child or whatever that speaks volumes and that's why stories like that are I think are just so important because Mm -hmm. they deserve to see themselves too you know that's really tough to go through yeah yeah and then um like then there will wait there then there was you also has deals a little bit with um some racism issues and things and some of those Mm -hmm. things actually happened in real life um to my daughter and so I was very angry and didn't know again what to do with those feelings and so I put them in a book Mm -hmm. (laughs) um Mm -hmm. So you see a pattern developing here. Like I have feelings I don't know what to do with and I put them in the book. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have like the best, you know, place to turn to. You can right. write. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So before Sarah gets to the next question, I have to ask this because, I mean, you you two were talking about it before we started recording, but those first two books, and I mean, your next book too, have the most gorgeous covers, I feel mm-hmm. like that I've seen in a long time. Do you have any input into 
did you have any input any say so into what they came out looking like because they are so gorgeous um you know what i did um so the first two are with hqn and the third one that's coming out in january that one's with um um special edition still harlequin but um a different line and i'll tell you um every single time even though it's two different editors the editors do come to me and they ask me you know what are your thoughts like what do you want on like what are you thinking about that you want on your cover. And so the very first time um, my editor came to me for then now always, she's like, what do you want on your cover? And I was very honest with her because it was my first book. I'm like, I really don't know what I want on my cover, but I can tell you what I don't want on my cover. And what I told her was the one thing I do want was I want representation. And the other thing I did not want, because if you read then now always, there's no henna in that book. Uh So I was like, can we not do the henna hands just because these characters are of Indian origin. And um, she was like, yeah, okay. So I'm like, that's really my only thing. Like I wanted to rep represent the actual characters that are in the book. And I will tell you HQN um, hired these models and did a photo shoot um, for them now always. Mm. So I got like a mock-up and then uh, like just from stock photos and then they did a photo shoot with these models, which I didn't even know my agent told me on the side. She's like, they don't always do a photo shoot. I was about to say, do they do photo shoots? That's incredible. That's a really big deal because I was like, oh, cool. And literally Rachel was like, they don't do that all the time. (laughs) I was like, awesome. You know? So then I was like, even more. So um, to me, that just told me that Harlequin was you know, very interested in, um, you know, proper representation and that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. And so, you know, I, that is still my favorite cover. I look at that cover and I just, I just sigh every single time. Also, he's very Mm -hmm. handsome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was that cover. And then, then now, so then there was you, the problem with then there was you was that it was in the middle of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. So they could not do another photo shoot. So these are stock photos, but I have since found out because of course I posted it and someone on Twitter is like, I know that girl, whatever. I follow her, that model on Instagram. And the guy in that photo is her current boyfriend. Oh my gosh! That's a romance novel, Sarah. Right there, yeah. <laughs> Two romance novel cover models fall in love for real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think they were dating at the time, but like that cover also, um, such great representation mm-hmm. um, of who I believe, you know, Annika, what she looked like, like even her skin tone. And everything, and um, and yeah, so they are actually a couple. That's delightful, know, right? That's and then the, this last one, which is so colorful and all that. So mm-hmm. I said, like, this one's a little, you know, it's 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 a little more Indian type of look, but it takes place at a wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, and this editor, she was just, you know, she actually, so one of the very first scenes is, um, it's the Mendy party for, or the, you know, for the henna party for when the bride and her friends and everybody gets like henna put on their hands for the wedding. And it's the color scheme for a party like that is similar to what's on the cover. And, you know, um, Susan had asked me, she's like, can you, you know, describe to me what a Mendy party would look like? So I told her and then I sent her some photographs and I went online and I found, I sent her all these things. I'm like, this is what's in my head. Like, this is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And that's what she put on the cover. So again, gorgeous cover. And I feel like it really represents what 
is in the book. So yeah. mm-hmm. again, mm-hmm. I think Harlequin's doing a great job with these covers. I can't, I, I cannot complain. They are. I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> because I love them. So yes. <laughs> so speaking of the five day reunion and which will be part of Harlequin's special edition line, can you tell us what that book is about? In the five day reunion, we have Nikhil and Anita who were married very quickly in their early 20s and then divorced within, I think, two or three years. And two or three years have gone since they, I think they divorced after two years and it's been three years since their divorce. Nikhil's younger sister is Tina is now getting married. Well, it turns out that Nikhil's mom never told the family and friends, whatever, that her son was divorced. So she goes to her ex-daughter-in-law and says, listen, I will pay for your last year of law school if you pretend to be married to my son for five days of this wedding. She doesn't even tell her son that she's coming. So it's a um, like a fake marriage. There's only one bed. Um, it's during like the five days of a wedding. Um, it's messy. There's family, there's all kinds of things going on. The best kind of mess. (laughs) So, okay, how did writing for special edition happen? Like, did you have the idea for this book and feel like it would just fit better somewhere else? What happened? Oh, this was the funnest story. Um, No, that's actually not what happened. So at the end, let me get my years correct now because it's everything's a mishmash. Okay. Yeah, at the end of 2020, so just prior to the release of Then There Was You, so my my debut was out, um, my my now editor at Special Special Edition had read Then Now Always. And she read Then Now Always, and she went to Brittany, who is my HQN editor, and she was like, hey, do you think Mona would want to write for Special Edition? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) And so then I guess, you know, then they, she has a conversation with my agent and then my agent comes to me and she's like, this is what's happening. What do you think? You know, these books are like 60,000 words as opposed to 90, you know, what do you want to do? And I was like, Oh, so I had a conversation with Susan and she was lovely. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Like, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I've never, I don't know how long it takes me. I didn't know how long it would take me to write a book. And they're like, can you write a book in six months? I'm like, I don't know. Let's find out. And um, yeah, so she offered me two books and I was like, let's do this, right? Let's just do this. Um, so I did. <laughs> so there will be another, cause I saw online that there's another book coming. So it's a, it's a series. So, um, the five day reunion is the first in my series and the series is called once upon a wedding. Yay. Um, okay. they do not need to be read in order by mm-hmm. any means. So it's not like a series that's like, you know, a one, two, three, four, five. It's more of like spinoffs. Okay. So the second book in this series is, um, we don't have a name for it yet. I just turned it in about a month ago. So I'm waiting on edits. It would be Anita's brother, who is um, a chef and Anita's best friend, who is a pastry chef. So the oh my gosh, Mona, you are like the author after our hearts. (laughs) We love love wedding stories. We love chef stories. (laughs) Cannot wait. (laughs) So the trope in that one is like my sister's best friend, my best friend's brother, that yep. type of thing. A little, a little bit of that. 
Um, and almost like in like a, the girl next door type of thing because they've known each other their whole lives and all that. So, mm-hmm. and that's Amr and Divya, and that that I believe is coming about on the exact date, but it's like July. Okay, um, awesome. is when it's. I don't have any covers or anything for that. Like I literally just turned it in. So, yeah. <laughs> well, our fingers are crossed. It is just as gorgeous as yep. five day reunion cover yeah. because it is stunning. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have, uh, oh, I have one more. I have another HQN coming out in August. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. And that one is called The Second First Chance. So I have a title for it. But we don't have a cover yet because not until August. And that one is um, Rhea is a Indian female firefighter and mm-hmm. Dylan is a veterinarian. So let's chat writing. Okay. Are you a plotter or a pantser? I'm so glad you asked this question because I always thought I was a plotter. But guess <laughs> what? I am not. I am more of a plotster, pantser. Pant. Love it. I'm a in between because, and more of a pantser than I ever thought I was, than I ever thought I would be. I, I consider myself like in for this kind of thing to like want an outline and kind of need to know where I'm going. And I will say that I do need to kind of know where I'm going, but I don't really know who my characters are until I start typing words. As much as I have in my mind, oh, this is what they are, this is what they are, this is what they are. And with each book, I understand the detail with which I need to know them more and more. Um, But it does take me a good amount of time while I'm writing them to figure out who they are. And I I famously, in my mind, this happened when I was writing, um, actually, Then There Was You. And I got to a point where Annika and, and Daniel broke up. And I was like, okay. And then I had in my mind how they were going to get back together. And I'm writing this like get back together scene. And I'm like, oh, that's not going to happen. She's not going to say yes. She's going to kick him out the door again. That's lame. So I was like, okay, so now how am I going to get them back together? I don't know. So like those kinds of things, I don't always know um, until I actually start writing it and figuring it out. So loosely, I do need to know where I'm going, um, but it's I'm very much a pantser. And I, I don't always write chrono- like chapter one, two, three in a, in a row. I, I, I don't always do that. Sometimes I'll start with the first kiss. Sometimes I start with the ending. Sometimes I start with their meet cute, like... It just, it varies for me, like whatever I'm feeling. I just try to get words in every day. I just don't know what those words are going to be or if they're going to stay. <laughs> that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense. Is there a specific time of day that you prefer to write? A uh, Morning. I'm a morning person. Okay. Because yeah. we know with, with you having a full-time job as well, are you like mm-hmm. writing before you're going to work? I'm only part-time now, which is fabulous. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I work a couple of days a week and um, I will, when I'm on deadline, yes, I will write in the morning before I go to the office. Um, otherwise, I use those mornings to kind of catch up on sort of admin things, sometimes like promo stuff or whatever you have to do around the house. And then the other days are like my writing days um and I will write at I will write at night um when I have to like when I was on deadlines so really those last like two or three weeks 
before a book is due, it's not unusual to find me like I'll go to a party and come home and write for like an hour at, at midnight, yeah. you know, because I'm like, I just thought of something or I'm in that moment where I just I have it and I it has to come out type of thing. Then now always I wrote um, whenever because my kids were still little um, and I was still driving them around. So, you know, during that eight year period where I was learning how to write a book, I was writing at soccer practice and dance practice and early in the morning and late at night when they went to bed and, you know, all these kinds of times. So I can do that. But I am much fresher in the morning than I am like at night, like for me to come home after work and sit down and write, which a lot of my friends do, um, unless I'm in that like crunch time period, I probably don't do that. I just give my brain a break when I come home from the office in the evening. And I don't. Do <laughs> yeah, there's just something I can imagine, like you've went through the entire day mm-hmm. consuming and just being around stuff. I can just imagine like getting up early and knocking it out before you've went out into the world is probably yeah. such a more productive way to go about yes, it. It is. Mm-hmm. It really is. And my creativity is better um, at, you know, in the morning and that kind of thing. And, and, you know, so basically a morning person, but sometimes, sometimes I will write at night if I, if, if it strikes me, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I like to get up early, walk the dog, work out and sit mm-hmm. down and, and get my stuff done. So you mentioned that you try and always write a bit every day. So do you set daily writing goals? I do to a certain degree. I am one of my friends um, turned me on to this app where you can you like put in all of your parameters, like what days you're going to write, what days you're not going to write, and when when the thing is like when you want the due date and all that, and it tells you every day like how many words you have to write to meet your goal. Um, and so I do try to do that so that I can at least get like the words down on paper. So I give myself a break, like Wednesday is my longest day at the office, for example. So on that day, I have a goal of zero words. So if I happen to write 300 words on a Wednesday, I'm I'm up 300 words, right? But mm-hmm. if I write zero words that day, then I haven't lost anything. So I do try to hit my word count, whatever um, that might be um for the day um and and that goes good for a while um and then it falls apart like a couple of months in just because <laughs> now I'm at a point where I need to move things around I don't know where things are going and so I won't always hit that um but writing and I it, it, for any new writers who might be listening and if someone had mentioned this to me before and I wish I'd known this but I when I was brand new, writing isn't always about putting the words on the page. Yes, yes, yes. You have to get words on the page. But some days writing is about staring into space. Some days it's about organizing your pantry while you think about what's going on with your characters. Um, so I think that there's lots of parts of writing that you like, there's a lot of thinking that goes on. So I used to feel like I was wasting time, like staring into space, but I was thinking about what's going to happen. And, and that is part of the process. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that because I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm in the stage of staring into space a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But I see where I'm going. (laughs) So I feel thank you for sharing that. is there anything that you need around you while you're writing? Um, I am blessed to have a lovely office. I'm surrounded by my books. Um, I, the only thing I really need is something to drink, either my coffee or my water. Um, and that is it. I do have lovely candles in here that I do light just to kind of like my office is such my happy place. So I like it to smell good and all that kind of thing. 
Um, I enjoy having my desk and all that things, but I don't have to have it. Like I said, I've written in a car many yeah. times. Um, I write on actually one of my best, most productive places to write is on an airplane. Oh. And I think it's because I can't get on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> so, You're kind of stuck. <laughs> yeah. I can't actually like go on Facebook or Instagram when I'm on an airplane. Mm-hmm. So I have to write. Um, so I write until my battery dies and then I pull out a book and read on an airplane. Um, and so there I have like nothing, you know, mm-hmm. basically like a glass of water. So, um, yeah, I mean, I like to have things around me, but it's not a must. So into some roundout questions. Sure. Tell us one book you wish you could experience again for the first time. The uh, Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. Mm. Have you that heard was of- a pretty popular one. I loved how it was told in letters. Okay. That to me, I was just, I think that was one of the books that I finished and then started and I I read the last page and I went right back to the beginning. Oh, wow. And read it again. Wow. I loved the... The way it was, I just love that whole letter writing thing. I think I would like to try that one time. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought it was so beautifully done. And when I went back the second time, it was great. But then I was like sad because I was like, I'm never going to read this book for the first time again. Again, <laughs> yeah. And it was such a lovely experience to do that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Besides reading, what was one of your teen girl obsessions? <laughs> So, um, <laughs> I loved a, I loved my Bollywood movies when I was a teenager, nice. um, which again is another point in the direction that I liked romance and it just took me too long to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved my Bollywood movies. Um, I loved doing Bollywood dancing and, and all that kind of stuff when I would, and the, when I was a teenager, it was just, just getting to the point where like people were actually doing Bollywood dancing. It wasn't as popular as it is now. Um, but uh, yeah, I was, I was obsessed with all of the romance and the drama of my Bollywood movies, the whatever I could VHS that I could get my hands on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what is one film you will never stop watching? Off the top of my head, I think I always go back to I love the proposal. I love um, to all the boys. What, is it to all the boys I've loved before? The Jenny Han. Yeah, the Jenny yeah. Han. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so that one again. That was another one, which I mean, it was only a few years old, but I was watching that movie, and it just made me so happy. The two of them were so cute, <laughs> and it like I every time I like my husband, I was like, we have to watch this. It's work. I literally was like, it's work for me. It's a romance. You have to watch mm-hmm. it with me. I have to do research, <laughs> and so I made him watch it with me and so now whenever it comes on I put it on again he's like seriously I'm like I'm doing research but really what it does is it just makes me happy yes Um, it's so um, just like a happy like there's three movies I think they're all three just so happy (laughs) and I love Sandra Bullock and their I mean Sandra Bullock can do anything but like their proposal it just appeals to me and I will tell you someone else had asked me something similar to this and I didn't realize until I kept going back to the proposal and to all the boys I loved before how much I like that fake relationship trope yeah which is what inspired me to write this to write the five-day reunion I'm like well since I love it so much maybe I'll write one well you know what it's not as easy to write one as It is to actually just watch it a hundred million times. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, so those are like, you know, when I'm just like, I got nothing else. I'm like, oh, let's go watch those. And they mm-hmm. make me happy. So yeah. What is one of the toughest pieces of advice you've ever received? Um, Just no, just knowing when to walk away from something or somebody mm-hmm. um, or even just a situation. Um that happens. I'm, I, as you might have guessed, I like to talk everything out. I'm like, no, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. (laughs) And sometimes I think you need to not talk about it and you need to just take a minute, you know, and for me to not talk about it is really hard. Um, and that is something that I actually try to put into like my characters as well. Like these little quirks and things that people have, like we try to put that into our characters because everybody's, you know, at the heart of it, I feel like everybody's basically a good, you know, they're good people, um, but we make mistakes, you know, and, and that's where all these little things come from. So like even, you know, in both of my books so far, like there's no real villains, like everybody's basically a good person. Um, they just make decisions based on whatever's going on in their own personal wounds type of thing, you know? Um, So I think just knowing when to walk away from anything that's not serving you, I Mm -hmm. think is, um, is a good piece of advice, but it's hard to incorporate for me. So knowing what you know now, what, what would you go back and tell yourself at the beginning of your writing career? Hmm. Don't be afraid to tell people what genre you're writing in. Okay. Um, I feel like when I first started, people would ask me, oh, you're writing and what are you writing? And I would literally be like, oh, I'm just writing a love story. And I would say those words just like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so kind of belittling it on my own, right? Just thinking that no one would be interested in, in, in a love story. And I think as I grew as a writer and I found my romance writer people and my tribe and everything, I realized what I was doing and um, I stopped doing it. So now when people ask me, you know, what genre I write, I very proudly tell them and very firmly tell them that I write romance. Um, it's almost, I actually probably go, went like way in the opposite direction. And it's almost like, like the way I say it is probably almost like, I dare you to like mm-hmm. make fun of me. Yeah. <laughs> I dare you to say something about romance right now because that's what I write. Like, what are you mm-hmm. going to say about it? You know? Um, and I just think I was a little embarrassed in the beginning and I just didn't really realize the value of it. And I pers- and I devalued it. And I would tell myself, my, my, you know, younger writing self to be like, you know what? You're writing romance and you should be proud of that. And don't belittle it. And, you know, put it out there because... There's nothing wrong with writing romance. Romance is 40% of the market, as we all know. And even if it wasn't, quite frankly, as much as people like to sort of be like, oh, it's a romance novel, everybody wants to fall in love. Everybody. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to fall in love. That's why we have we have stories about all kinds of love stories. Love is love is love. Like whatever you're writing, like everybody does, everybody wants to fall in love. So I, you know, I don't, I, I, when I realized that I was like, I don't really understand why romance is poo-pooed so much. Like even guys, like you want to fall in love too. Maybe you don't want to read about it, but mm-hmm. mm, you might want to, you, you might want, you call it a chick flick, but you sit down, you get sucked into it because everybody knows what it, if you don't know what it feels like to fall in love, you want that feeling. And if you do know what it feels like to fall in love, you want to relive it again. Like everybody just wants that it's sort of a universal love is so universal and like why why not just be proud of the fact that that's what you're writing and so that's what I would tell my my earlier career self Miss Mona Shroff where can everyone follow you online um I am the 
I am most active on Instagram. So that's at Mona Shop Author on Instagram. Um, I have my Facebook author page, which I've linked to it as well. When I do go there and, and do the comments. Um, I do a little bit of Twitter, not a lot. Um, it's mostly promo stuff and everything on Twitter that I do. And um, I have dipped a tiny little pinky toe into TikTok. <laughs> pinky toe. Because <laughs> <laughs> TikTok is a lot. <laughs> it um, is. But it, it's, you know, there is an active book talk community mm -hmm. um, that I... I, I love listening to, I, I love their videos. Um, so I just most recently did post my unboxing video on TikTok. Um, so I, yeah, I, I'm trying to do more with, I'm trying to do more with TikTok because I think it would serve me. But um, also, I guess, I don't know if my readership is, I, I, I don't write YA. And I think that the most of the people that I know on there are YA. And I feel like that that's the, it's those kids that are on there. But um like I think even like the 20 somethings would read my book. So mm -hmm. yeah. So we'll see. So right now it's just a tiny pinky toe um, <laughs> that's in TikTok, but Instagram is probably the best place right now. Alrighty. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We have been so excited and just counting yes. down the days. It's been such an honor to, to chat with you and get to know you and please come back. I mean, you have more books coming out in the new year. Yes. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> please come back and listeners, make sure you check the show notes. We'll have the links to all the places where you can keep up, keep up with Mona, as well as where you can track down her books, Harlequin, Mills and Boone, all of all of the places. So make sure you check the show notes. All of that information will be there. And Sarah and I will chat with you in our next episode. Have a lovely day, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.